Coming up this week, off-screen. The Kingsman face off against the Golden Circle. Borg faces off against McEnroe. It's a different kind of love story on body and soul. There's a voice from the forest with Tawai. A girl-powered culture clash as her eyes in between. And there's melancholy in the last days of the city. All those to come and more, off-screen. This is... This is Offscreen. Offscreen. Latest film news and reviews. This is Off Screen, the on screen radio show. Ooh, welcome to Off Screen. I'm Van Connor. And I'm John Coulson. So, Mr. Coulson, before the news, before the reviews, before the box office top five and all the fun we generally like to have around here, yeah. uh, we have to start with a key piece of news. You know, our, our big indicator, our, our big thing that's happened in the past week that we like to set the tone sort of news wise the rest of the show. All right. So, I want to talk about Mother. Ooh. Right. Okay, so Mother didn't have a great opening weekend, it turned out. Did it not? It did not. Um, <laughs> I mean, literally, it was a case of kicking it while it was down. <laughs> and and then something unexpected happened, and Paramount went to bat for it, which never actually happens. Okay. Right, so, do you know what the cinema score is? No. Right, so cinema score is, you know, like you have Rotten Tomatoes for critics, yeah. where they take all the critic ratings and they round them all up and, and they assign a percentage based on those reviews. Oh, yeah. Right, they have a similar thing for audiences. Okay, oh. called the cinema score. With you. Right, so what they do is they wait around outside the multiplex on opening weekend and they ask everyone who comes out, like, uh, give it a grade, what do you think? Yeah, you know, and, and they oh, ask I've enough, had that, I've yeah, had that. They ask enough people and then they, they compile an average and that's the score that it got. Mother is the first film in five years to rank an F. Oh. Yes. It ranked an F. Now, do you remember, I think I said to you last week, it's amazing to me that this film has no mainstream appeal. What's because they were advertising the hell out of it. I think I said to you, it has no mainstream appeal and word of mouth will kill it. Yeah. Turned out that actually happened. Yeah. Not only did word of mouth, base, not in this country, incidentally, it did pretty well here. All right. But, you know, we're small potatoes compared to the US. Yeah. In the US, in its opening weekend, how much do you think this earned? Ballpark figure's fine. Oh, I don't know. Is it really bad, though? It's pretty bad. It's not like the $13 that the Shia LaBeouf film made. <laughs> that would be an improvement. No, um, no it was it was $7.5 million in its opening weekend. Okay. It is the lowest grossing film of Jennifer Lawrence's career. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Remember remember that one she did with uh, with Bradley Cooper where they lived on the ranch? Yeah. And, and the distributor decided to try and forget about it and they released, they dumped that film out. And, yeah. Yeah. That made more money than this. Ooh. Yeah. So, lowest grossing film of uh, their career. However, Paramount have issued a press release and said, this is not a film to make money. You know, it's, we didn't make it for that reason. We're not Netflix. You know, we can't just, we, we can't do these things all the time for us. It's a significant gamble. And we do think, at the very least, it's a film that should be supported, that you should be discussing. And it is that, at least. You are discussing it. Great. We want to make more films like this. So please, at least give it some thought and, and time of day and, and actually see it. So, okay, fair enough. You know, Jennifer Lawrence has said similar things. She knows it's not a critical hit or anything like that. Fair enough. Now, you'll find out when we get to the box office top five that there are people in the world that like it, and there are people that don't like it. Okay. And, yeah, it's a real dividing line. I still don't know if I like it or dislike it, to be honest. I'm going to be really upfront about that. 
It's been a week. It's though. been a week. I, I I've slept since then. I, you know, I've got <laughs> things to do. I don't have time to sit down and you know actively think about mother. But uh, yeah, I barely think about my own mother. I don't have time to think about the film mother. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm kidding. Love you, mum. Anyway, um, and your mum too. I love your mum too. Yes. But uh, yeah, she knows that very well. All right. So uh, should we do the first review of the week? Yeah, definitely. Let's do it. Right. Borg v McEnroe, or Borg McEnroe, or Borg versus McEnroe. Right, it, no one can decide what the title for this is. All we know is there's some Borg, there's some McEnroe, occasionally there's a V versus. Okay. We don't know. Okay. Right. So, this is the story, cleverly enough, of Bjorn Borg and John McEnroe. Right? The two players, one of whom is kind of uh, the, the rank, one of whom's the ranking champion. He's looking to, uh, you know, set the record for the fifth consecutive Wimbledon win. Okay. And the other is the young upstart, the hot headed, temper fueled, you know, American. John McEnroe, played by Shia LaBeouf. I'm going to have to look up who played Mac, uh, played Borg, because I don't remember, and it's driving me insane. Um, he is great, though. And, and, of course, in the middle of it all, you have uh, Stella Skateboard as well, which is what you get if you type Stella Skarsgård into uh, into an iPhone, autocorrects to uh, Stella Skateboard. So, yeah, so uh, Stella, Ska- Stella Skateboard. Stella Stella Skateboard, Stella Skarsgård. We'll just go with either. I'm just going to interchange them. Okay. So Stella Stella Skarsgård is the mentor figure to uh, Bjorn Borg. John McEnroe doesn't have anyone quite the same. He's more of an isolationist figure. And it's basically these two men coming together at Wimbledon in the 70s and the question of... Who, who's got this one in the bag? Is it the man with the drive to set this this legend legendary record to to you know cement his career forever, or is it the guy who's just desperate to be loved? This guy who's quite alone and unhinged in his own little way, who's very insecure. And uh, we've got a clip, and this is uh, Shia LaBeouf's John McEnroe on a US talk show prior to leaving for Wimbledon. Uh, the only thing standing between Borg and that record is you. Mm-hmm. Well, here's what the been saying over in London, where uh, you're hardly making any friends. Uh, John, I'm, I, I gotta ask you, what is it that you've done to the Brits? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's just a different place, you know. It's a different culture, and they have warm beer, and it's just a different thing. Well, have you uh, have you got a plan to uh, get them to stop booing? I mean, I plan to go in there and play my game, and if I beat Borg in the final, it's very hard to boo me if I'm number one. So. <laughs> So, Charlotte Buff there, as John McEnroe. And, uh, right, here's the, there's some weird irony to actually casting Shia Buff, a guy who, quote-unquote, isn't famous anymore, as, a, as you know, to play a guy who really is trying to make his name and be famous. There's an irony to that. Yeah. Let's, let's not dance around the bush. The thing is, though, it turns out to be absolutely fantastic casting. Because, yeah. I mean, we, you and I, obviously, we, we're near enough a similar age. Um, we know John McEnroe as being a very specific way because we know him as being an older gentleman now. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's a guy we only ever see, you know, in the crowd on Sports Personality of the Year. Looking that's, angry. Yeah, that's really it. Or occasionally he's sat on some breakfast talk show. But that's really it. He does tend to look unhappy. And you, you look back at this, and when he was the young hothead, you think, actually, Shia LaBeouf is playing the hell out of this. Yeah. And he's really good. Right. Although, it's worth pointing out, I, I had to look this up, as I say. So, uh, Sveria Goodnison, who plays uh, Bjorn Borg, who looks creepily like beyond Borg, like you actually, when they get to the end of the film, they do the obligatory thing of showing you the actual guys. Oh, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, they do that, and you think, okay, Shia LaBeouf's got the hair, give him that. But uh, Goodnison really is the spitting image of Beyond Borg, and he's got the intensity, and he's got the the introspection, and the performance is terrific. However, 
The film suffers in, in part because it jumps periodically between wanting to be Frost Nixon and wanting to be Rush. Right. Right. So on the one hand, you have, you know, you have Rush, which is quite a bombastic, yeah. you know, quite intense physical competition between two men. Yeah. And then you have Frost Nixon, which is two men sat, you know, doing an interview, and it's the intellectual might between two men. In this case, it's it's a psychological thing. So it's the physical versus the psychological. And the film, I, I think this is going to be an inherent thing with doing this story anyway. I think that anyone who made it was going to have the same trouble. Right. Now, to be fair, Yanis uh, Metz, who's, who's directed this, whose work I wasn't familiar with, I have to admit, um, he does a terrific job. What he's done is this very crisp HD kind of a look, right? But it's bleached out slightly. The color is bleached out ever so slightly, so oh, it's right. slightly duller color palette. However, he still makes it look gorgeous as all hell. So when we introduced to Bjorn Borg at the beginning, um, you see him in I think is he I think he's in France. Oh, he's in Monaco, sorry. And there's uh, footage of him, you know, from a bird's eye view on a clay court, just you know, uh, playing against the ball machine. Right. And it's just you, you wouldn't think it, but that very basic setup is one of the most gorgeously staged shots. You look at it, good God, this looks wonderful. And he keeps that intensity all the way through. The actual matches themselves, the actual games themselves are fast-paced, yet completely coherent. You know where you are at any given point. You are completely immersed in it at the same time, but you are able to follow everything that's going on around you. It's really something. I mean... It, it, it's, I mean, it's the best mainstream film out this week. I've got to give it that. Um, Is that a spoiler for the end? Spoiler for the end, yeah. Um, no, not really. Um, it's not film of the week, don't get me wrong. Right. Believe me, you'll know when I'm at film of the week. Okay. Um, but it is about those two really great performances and Stella Skateboard and uh, really great direction from Yanis uh, Matz. I think there's a great package here. Huh. I think it's an interesting story. It's slightly jarring that it keeps leaping between those two sort of comparisons tones however that's more the fault of reality yeah. than the actual film that's right. that's just what was going to happen yeah, that's, if you can't get away from it yeah, you can't get away from just it. just how it has to be yeah. you know that's it really <laughs> but uh, oh uh competitions and podcast plug we go to that so yeah. um so competitions we've got some interesting ones we, this goes out on friday you see so um we, we have still got firefly is open until that evening all right so if you go on onscreenfilm.com forward slash competitions or just onscreenfilm.com find it on, on your own time without typing you know save, how to use the internet save yourself keystrokes save yourself the keystrokes just go on on screen film and then click the competition section <laughs> or put in the extra typing time and type the word yeah. you know it's, it's, it's up to you how much effort you want to expand or set up a bookmark bookmark there we are like reading list you can yeah. put it on reading list now or I'm sure Siri will open it for you <laughs> just say it at Siri, your phone yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> uh, so Firefly the 15th anniversary Blu-ray set is on there and oh god it's so gorgeous I want one I really do. I love Firefly. Uh, we've also got Blu-rays and T-shirts for My Life as a Courgette to win, oh. which is one of the best animated... It might be the best animated film of the year. Um, and, of course, um, the BBC uh, miniseries with Jodie Whittaker that was came out recently, uh, Trust Me, right. in which she's a doctor. Or is she? And I never got the chance to watch it, and I really, really want to. And I have asked them for a review copy, even though yeah. we don't tend to write reviews of TV stuff. I'm just asked them for a review. Just copy. trying that just, one. Just trying it. <laughs> um, so yeah, onscreenfilm.com. Go on the competition section and win some swag. We don't even ask you questions and nothing except for you know where you live and what your name is, <laughs> so we could send it you if you win. That's kind of a given. Yeah, there's certain things that have certain to be things asked. we have to ask. Yeah. Um, in the meanwhile, uh, extended podcast edition. You can get that with extra reviews with moment of cage 
page with extra news. Uh, and you can find that same place as well, onscreenfilm.com, or you can go over to iTunes. You can go to Acast, you can go to Deezy, you can go to TuneIn. You can uh, ask uh, the friendly gentleman you pass uh, during your morning jog. Yeah. And I'm sure he'll recite it for you. He'll just, he'll just, you know, he'll he'll, he'll impersonate me badly. I'm sure. And uh, and yeah, there's a million and one different ways to, to find the show. So go on, enjoy the moment of cage is worth it. Definitely worth it. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Off Screen, the on-screen radio show. And like Schwarzenegger, we're back. So, Mr. Coulson, shall we uh, do the top five for the week? Yeah, I'll uh, I'll try and get ready for the for try, <laughs> try and get ready. So, top five. We have tweets as well. Oh, uh, we do. Let's get this ball rolling. Number five. <laughs> The Emoji Movie in 3D. <laughs> the Emoji Movie in 3D, which is a barrel of laughs if you're looking for a complete tonal disaster. Uh, this this is literally three... This is this is uh, like a, a pass-the-parcel type movie. Where you keep peeling away a layer and there's something else underneath, and you never quite get to the prize, unless the prize is, well, a corporate stock price, because that's, that's really what's at the centre of this all. For, like, seven weeks. Seven weeks. It's not the longest film in the box office top ten. It is in the top five... Yeah. But the longest one, the top ten, I believe, is Despicable Me with twelve weeks. It's not even number good. ten, and uh, Dunkirk, I think, is nine weeks now. Yeah. So yeah, um, Dunkirk's out of the top five. By the way, how depressing is that? I still haven't seen it, so I can't. It's more depressing that Emoji Movie's still in it. But uh, <laughs> so Emoji Movie is perfectly fine as an animated film. I've got. I didn't have a great issue with it. I really didn't. I laughed a couple times, but I could not quite escape the feeling that what I'm watching is a corporate shill job wrapped up inside a children's comedy that's then wrapped up inside an even more sinister level of product placement that's then wrapped up inside the beating heart of a comedy writer desperately trying to inject some form of genuine creativity into what's effectively a corporate shill job. So... What does Twitter have to say on the matter? Uh, so, MovieFan993 has said that... Why? What did the first 992 have to say? Uh, well, not enough. Not enough, we're clearly. Not, we're no. not discussing what they're saying, so you know, okay, yeah. try harder, guys. To, to hell with the first 992. Yeah, just be better, guys. Uh, so, the Emoji Movie is literally, caps, the worst movie I've ever seen. Only thing I gave, 0 out of 10. Wow. I mean, I know, I know, movie fan three nine four. He was a bigger fan. Yeah, he'd give it like but, a one uh, and a half. Yeah, he gave it one and a half, but uh, <laughs> not. For, I tell you, he didn't love it as much as two six one. But two six one. Number four. Don't sing the rest of that. Whatever you do, wanted to so much. I'm not paying that fine. <laughs> it's American Assassin. American Assassin. Um, which I'm disappointed in you people. Why did you pay money to see this? Why? Do you think it's because people are just like, well, it could be good? It could be. It's not. It's, I mean, it, like I say, it's so generic, you could literally have called this spy thriller. <laughs> and uh, the only person that's even vaguely you know, bringing it here is, is Michael Keaton. But then again, when doesn't he? And even then, to be fair, on the Michael Keaton scale of how much effort you're going to put in, this is about need for speed level. This is like need for speed Keaton. I mean, th- this ain't Beetlejuice Keaton, and it sure as hell ain't Birdman Keaton. Oh, but this is Birdman. This is Need for Speed or Desperate Measures Keaton. Now, I like Desperate Measures, so I don't don't say that as a slight. But this is <laughs> this is about Need for Speed or Desperate Measures Keaton. Okay. Dylan O'Brien, though, basically has all the charisma charisma of a marshmallow. Well, like we were saying last uh, after the show, mm. when you mentioned that it was in the Maze Runner, I just thought about everybody else in the film. <laughs> I'm the one with Bill Bolter and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Kaya Scodelario. <laughs> can't even say that name. Yeah, well, I can. Well, I, I can't. But. Oh, well. I'm a big fan of her in that uh, lesbian schoolgirl drama with Billy Piper. I'm pretty sure that's not what it's called. It, it's not. No, it's not actually what it's called. I think it might have been called Love, actually. But uh, I don't know. It was an anthology thing. David Morrissey was in it. <laughs> So what does Twitter have to say about American Assassin? Uh, so Jake TC says, after a morning spent dissecting the poorly written American Assassin, realised uh, just seeing it already gave it two hours more than I should have. Okay, so we agree. Okay, <laughs> that's that's fine. That's really harsh. <laughs> that's, that's the kind of smug over the top thing I'd say, so fair enough. Number three. Hello, mother dear. Oh, that's creepy. Uh, mother. Funny story, every time my mum calls me, that's actually how I answer the phone. Yeah, it is. It, it is. really is. You've heard me do it, yeah. <laughs> it's Bart Simpson flying a kite at night. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, Mother, wow, okay. So, some people love it, some people hate it, and that's there's not really anyone in between. Actually, there is me in between. Because you're just not sure yet. I'm just, I, no, that's it, I'm not committing to this. I'm sitting in the middle. I'm owning up to this and just sitting in the middle oh. saying, I'm allowing time to tell me on this one. I'm allowing processing to take place. I don't want to commit to anything on this one. I will say this, though. One thing I have thought about is when I said to you last week when we were doing the review that it's one of the, the, the standout films that you have on the DVD shelf, like, and I named a few films, and I said things like Apocalypse Now, Big Lebowski, Fight Club, things like that. Yeah. No, no, no. I was wrong there. I shouldn't have used those examples. I should have said something like Blue Velvet. Think of this the way that you think back on Blue Velvet. Very similar thing. You're looking at me like you've never seen Blue Velvet. There we go. Okay, right, okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to show you Blue Velvet. It doesn't sound too... You've not sold it very well, I'll be honest. Okay, it is... I, I really like Blue Velvet. I'm going through a bit of... I'm, and I've got an emerging David Lynch thing going on at the oh, moment. Okay, okay. So I've not gotten around to Twin Peaks before anyone asks. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I've got an emerging thing. I really want to watch... I want to watch Dune again. Okay. I feel like I've reached the stage where I'm willing to give that another try. <laughs> Just try it one more time. You know, Sting in space. I'm willing to try that again. Okay. Sting and Pat's do in space. Yeah. But So uh, what does Twitter have to say, Mother? Because I don't know what tweet you have. I, I picked a random one. I didn't read it. So oh, okay. you tell me. I don't know if it loves it or hates it, this tweet. So it's from Science Barbie. Sci- I love that name. Yeah, I like it. Uh, if you're wondering what it's like to have environmental anxiety so bad that you have panic attacks, go see Mother. Hashtag Mother movie. That's not selling it, I'll be honest. That's, that's really not. Although, a very good description. I'll give it that. That actually is a very accurate description. It's an unsettling film. Yeah. And, yeah. Number two. Victoria and Abdul. Which I loved. I was charmed over by this. Yeah, you was. did love it. I really did. I've, like seen, I've seen pictures and it made me smile just that you smiling all the way through reviewing it. Really? Yeah, I was like, <laughs> oh, Van loves this. Well, it's such a nice little film. I mean, don't get me wrong, it, it, it is kind of a retread of, of Mrs. Brown or Her Majesty Mrs. Brown, depending on which version you're watching. Yeah. Um, but Judy Dench, always on the top of a game. Like, Judy Dench does not know what the lower side of her game looks like because she's always on top. Yeah. Ali Fazal as Abdul, I think, is great as well. Uh, but I think Eddie Izzard owns this. Nice. Oh, he does. He's so good in it. Have we got a tweet? We do. From Yerf.2. Okay. Uh, saw Victoria and Abdul last night. I'm still feeling emotional from the ending. Seriously lovely film. Well worth a watch. Okay, so we agree. That's good. I mean, lovely film, just 
and from your review, it, it just sounds... That is a really good... That is how you would describe it. What a lovely film. It's very English. It's a lovely film. <laughs> it's a lovely film. I really want to eat scones whilst I'm watching and drinking <laughs> Earl Grey. And that's it. I guarantee you, if my mother saw it... And my mum only likes middle-of-the-road films. All right. Like, my mum likes to like films so in the middle of the road that she can feel traffic whizzing by. Um, my mum would watch this and say, it's a lovely film. <laughs> because it is. It's a lovely, lovely film. Number one. Hiya, Georgie. Which, you know, more time, the more time that goes by on this, the more I really like it. <laughs> and uh, I think, not enough people I think are giving credit to, to Bill Skarsgård okay. uh, for how good he is as Pennywise. Yeah. And uh, I have heard it actually described a lot recently as more of a Stranger Things-esque Amblin-style adventure than it is a horror film. I'd go with that, actually. I really would. Um, I do think, though, it, it is a horror film only in the sense that it is all about atmosphere and tension and not a really about jump scares. There are some in there, yeah, and they do work, but it's not an outright jumpy horror film. Hearing that makes me want to see it a little bit more because, you know, I can't stand jump scares. Like... Do you like clowns, though? Well, I, I probably won't after watching it, but... Okay, then. So what's Twitter got on the matter? So the real... I'm going to say B-Ray MC. Yeah, okay. I will, because his name's Bobby Ray. Um, it was way better than I expected. Plot stayed true, nice blend of suspense, and Bill Skarsgård did an amazing job. Double thumbs up. Excellent. Okay, I'll go with that. I like it. Okay, so um, a brief bit of film news then uh, before we carry on. What have we got in the way of film news? Um, so something about... X-Men Dark Phoenix. Oh, yes. Okay, so, uh, you know the guy that was Cyclops in X2, X-Men The Last Stand, and X-Men Days of Future Past? Yes. He's done three films, and he's had exactly three lines of dialogue. Oh. So much so that when they finally got Colossus in Deadpool and gave him something to do, they recast the role. Oh. Because they weren't done screwing over Daniel Cudmore. Right. Yeah. So now they've got Daniel Cudmore back, he's going to be in X-Men Dark Phoenix, but he has to say, oh, I can't tell you who I'm playing, which sort of suggests he's not going to be Colossus. Right. So, here's what I want to know. Who has Daniel Cudmore offended? Um, <laughs> who, who who has he unsuccessfully tried to blackmail? Who is setting out to ruin Daniel Cudmore's career because someone involved in the X-Men franchise hates him but doesn't want to let him go? They want to keep bringing him back and humiliating him in new and exclusively strange ways. Oh. So, either way, he's back. Whether or not he'll have a line of dialogue, we don't know. Hopefully not. Whether or not he's playing Colossus is uncertain. Who he's playing, equally uncertain. So, is it, yeah. Is he going to be an extra? I have. Probably at this stage. Yeah, just probably. Drinking a coffee. He probably just could play a hanging corpse at this stage. That's just what it's going to be. <laughs> but, okay, real quick review them, because we haven't got a clip for this anyway, because of the th- six films out this week, three of them are foreign language films. All right. So, no clips for those. Yeah. Right, so in between, yes. uh, which is the story of three Palestinian, three uh, 20-something Palestinian girls, okay. who are basically just, uh, like, there's two of them that share a flat, and they get a third flatmate in the form of their friend's cousin, I believe it is, right. or their... I think it's their friend's sister or their friend's cousin who comes to stay with them, who is a de- who is a practising devout Muslim. And even though the two girls are themselves obviously Muslims as well, they are very much laps. I mean, we're literally introduced to these girls pretty much coking it up and drinking in, in a back room of a club. Okay. They then get the devout Muslim uh, flatmate, and it's kind of the culture clash that comes with that and how one side affects the other in, in, in strange ways. And also... How how this clash starts to affect both of their lives and the relationship within them. Um, 
I was really surprised by this. I, I knew nothing of it going in. Okay, knew nothing of it. Um, I went in, and within about ten minutes, I just thought, "There's something about this. Actually, this is this kind of works. This has got this has got a spark." And it wasn't a spark exclusively related to the fact that. Uh, well, put it this way, when the film was over, I got to, I was talking to Chris Honeyset. I came out and said, "Well, there's an untapped marketplace for you, Muslim girls. It turns out cinema does remember that they exist because oh, yeah. it's always Muslim guys." Never Muslim girls. Yeah. That's a really untapped marketplace in films. Um, and also seeing it this way, seeing this depiction, and seeing the idea of, uh, but because obviously there is the, the reality of of uh, of life within uh, a Muslim society, is more difficult for women. Yeah. Especially because if you're if you're obviously a guy and you don't want to practice religion, that you're kind of just allowed to. And believe me, I can speak from experience on that one. <laughs> um, but obviously, it's not the same for the fairer sex. And the way the film lays it out, and specifically the way that it uses that scenario to explore certain darker subjects, to explore certain domestic nastiness, to explore the gender divide, the inequality, and things like that, I think is really something. There's a lot to this. And the three performances are equally good. I'd argue that, I mean, uh, Mo- uh, Mona Hauer, I think, is she's the central character Layla I think she owns the film okay. because she seems to get the lion's share of the narrative work anyway um, Sana Jamila as well Shaden Kambora as the other two both great I would argue though it's all down to Munahawa um, it's um, written and directed by uh, Maisel and Hamoud again don't know their work. Um, I was, though, impressed enough by this to actually want to check it out. All right. I will say, though, as well, its uh, actual title is Barbara, which I actually think, that is so much a better-sounding title than In Between. So, yeah. Um, no, check this out. This is really something. It's funny. It's deep. It's got something to say. It has sociological relevance in a way that you wouldn't have considered. Okay. And it's absolutely worth seeing. With the latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back, Mr. Coulson. So, um, before we uh, do another bit of news, uh, well, let's do the news first, then. Let's just see what we've got in the news. So, Elizabeth Moss. Of Mad Men and Handmaid's Tale? Yeah, yeah. that's the one. So yeah. she's she's doing oh is it Simon Curtis Simon Curtis's new indie drama I think it's called and that is called is it called Jane it is okay called Jane so this is based on uh, this is a true story from I believe it's 1950 Chicago so it's set before Roe v Wade okay and uh, this is the story of uh, a, a young married housewife who uh, finds herself pregnant and has to turn to an underground society who are basically helping women illicitly get abortions at that time right. and okay this sounds very much a film that America needs right now I would imagine. I mean, I'd imagine there's going to be protest outside every single screening of it. Yeah. But uh, it'd be the same, like, you know, four picketers, you know, outside <laughs> each one. But, uh, yeah, this is very a sociologically very relevant film right now, very politically charged, I would think, as well. And having someone like Elizabeth Moss in it, after The Handmaid's Tale, yeah. is that's really sending a statement. But, uh, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's to come. No other casting in it as yet... 
but uh, it's a big start though. Big start. Once you've got Elizabeth Moss, I can imagine the rest of that cast filling out. I mean, how long is it till Sarah Paulson comes along? Because she's always in these things now. If has it got some political heft to it? Oh, look, there's Sarah Paulson. <laughs> there yeah, she is. there she is. And for some reason, in everything that Ryan Murphy does. But uh, okay, anything with American in the title? Okay, fair enough. <laughs> We get to American Fairground story soon, and she'll be in that as well. But, uh, okay, so it's the review you've been waiting for. Yeah. So, Kingsman: The Golden Circle, aka Kingsman Two, aka King Two, uh, but K Two. Sorry, but uh, King Two. I'll be with. Going to say that's rubbish. Rubbish. Sorry. No, K Two. K Two. That's. I would have gone with that as a title as well because it would have kind of worked in the logo and everything. Right. So the idea is then this is an undisclosed amount of time after the first movie. Right. Right. We have Eggsy, who is carrying on life as a Kingsman agent, as a as a, you know a, a gentleman spy, as it were. Okay. Um, although there are faults, there's a lot of faults in this that I need to get to, but I can't have to explain the plot. And it's a to to house of cards as to which one you can get to first. Right. Right. He's attacked on the street the minute the film opens, and he's attacked by the former recruit from the first movie who we thought was dead in Va- Richmond Valentine's lair at the end of the first movie. You remember the snotty recruit who was constantly bullying him? You remember? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. We thought he was dead. He's not. He's back, and he's got a bionic arm. Right. Eggsy survives the attack, oh, and the bionic arm attacks Kingsman, and, you know, by jacking into, because it's autonomous and it works on its own, and it jacks into the computer system, and it steals all of their secrets, and it allows Kingsman, the entire organisation, to be attacked and wiped out instantly the only surviving members being eggsy and merlin who you might remember is played by uh, uh, mark strong yeah right so eggsy and merlin initiate the doomsday protocol which actually in, which essentially sends them to the us to contact their american counterparts who are known as statesmen. Uh, Only instead of gentlemen spies, you know, hidden behind a tailor shop front, they are sort of cowboy-themed, and they're hidden behind a whiskey business. And all of their agents, rather than being named after Knights of the Round Table, are named after drinks. So, Chantete is Agent Tequila. Oh, my God. Yes. And, yeah, and this goes on and on. And the boss is uh, Jeff Bridges, who's Champagne a.k.a. Champ, and basically the Kingsman and the Statesman must combine forces in order to face off against against Poppy, an evil villainess played by Julianne Moore who lives in Cambodia in some ancient Mayan ruins that she has retrofitted to look like a 1980s pop culture nostalgia reference to the 1950s. And also Colin Firth's alive. Here's a clip. We're from the Kingsman Tailor's Shop in London. Maybe you've heard of us. Oh, the Kingsman? Yeah. Huh. That's where y'all got them fine suits and them fancy spectacles y'all got on. Exactly. That's right. Y'all look damn sharp. Let me see if I got it right here. You want me to believe that it's normal for a tailor to hack through an advanced biometric security system with nothing but a little bitty old watch on? I can promise you. That dog don't hunt. So would you go on and get down on your knees and tell me who you really work for? So what you've just heard in that clip is the bulk of Channing Tatum's role in this film. He yeah. has about three scenes. Is he wearing a shirt? Uh, no, he is shirtless in one of them. Yeah, he's in one of the scenes he is shirtless. 
So, yeah, so, you know, at least they've ticked that box. I was kidding. No, no, they've got that. Yeah, they've got that. Right, um, where to begin with this one? All right, it's not very good. Uh, I'm just going to cut right down to it. It's not very good. The only real discussion to be had about this film, I mean, obviously we're going to have to delve into more about it, but... To the average movie goer, the only real discussion with this one is whether or not it's worse than Kingsman, uh, whether it's worse than Kickass Two, whether or not that's a worse sequel than this. I would argue that Kickass Two is a better sequel than oh, this. No. This is not only a bad sequel; it's a bad movie. Full stop. I mean, it's two hours and ten minutes long. Why? Right. Here's here's how badly paced and how awfully toned this thing is. And I say this as someone who really loved Kingsman. You loved Kingsman. I loved Kingsman. Right? It was a great surprise. We all love Kingsman. Right? This is not coming. Please, if you're a big fan and you're just going to smack talk this because, oh, how dare you talk bad about the sequel. It's going to be amazing and I'm not going to think otherwise. No, 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 no. You people shut up right now. Don't want to know. If you want to spend your money on garbage, send it to me to buy cigarettes. It's fine. But, um... But no, I say this as someone who genuinely loved Kingsman. This is so such a slog that at one point I thought this is always got to be over soon. Checked my watch; there was still an hour and five minutes left to go. Genuinely, right? Let's get down to the bullet points. I did write all these down, right? So it feels like a particularly uninteresting cartoon. It, it really does. It, it just feels hollow, unnecessarily animated, badly sketched out. The whole thing feels like this sort of overblown 2017 version of a Flash Gordon uh, episode from the 30s, albeit they're all in suit. There's none of the sharpness, none of the wit, and none of the none of the sort of weirdly bizarre and nasty depth that made the first one worthwhile. There's none of that in it. It's it's just a slog. It. Instead of just giving the characters another mission, which is the logical thing to do, just go down the Bond formula, what they do instead is try to actually make part two. So, you, you know all the stuff that you really cared about in the first movie? Yeah. Yeah, well, it turns out that was all the mission. That wasn't the actual story of the Kingsman. What they've done is continued the story of the Kingsman. So, here's one for you, and this is, this is not really a spoiler. Do you remember the gag at the end of the first movie? After he saved the world, involving a Swedish, a Danish Swedish princess. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. What's the outcome of that story? Um, he, Th- he, that's the story. Yeah. Th- that's it. There is none. Right. Because it's it's a Bond gag. Yeah. He saves the world. He gets to nail the girl. That's the thing. We never see her again. Yeah. No, she's his girlfriend now. She's actually his girlfriend now. She's in the film a lot. She actually, arguably, is the female lead of this film. She has no character, no personality, no charisma, and I have no explanation whatsoever as to why anyone thought it was a good idea to bring her back. If she's the girl at the end of the film, that's a role. There's no need to... That's it, isn't it? No, 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 no. Now she's... Yeah. That's it. Right. There is a storyline here as well. I mean, first of all, the whole thing is so badly written, so it feels like Matthew Vaughan and Jane Goldman sat down to write this, came up with 50 ideas for sequels, and then decided that they really couldn't do without any of them. So they just tossed them all in, and then at the last moment thought, yeah, but we still need to bring Colin Firth back, so really the movie's got to be about that, really. 
So the actual story of saving the world kind of takes a backseat to them explaining why they had to bring Colin Firth back. And believe me, when you hear the actual justification, the actual in-story reasoning behind how he's alive, you you will roll your eyes back so fast you will get whiplash because it takes this the series into bona fide science fiction territory, and that's before it gets to actual science fiction. Right. In the meanwhile. The cast, I can't explain it. They've all decided to go hammy. And that's one thing you could never call Kingsman. Kingsman wasn't hammy. It was, you know, a bit witty, a bit nudge-nudge. It was a bit snarky. It had all that. It was never hammy. This is hammy to the extent that actually weirdly reminds you of Johnny English at times. Although, I am just going to point this out, actually. Funnily enough, I did have this thought during it. Right. Take this concept, right? Young... A uh, young rebellious agent recruited into secret organization by old veteran, right? Yeah. Saves the world, then gets a sequel where they where the young rebellious one is now slightly slightly less green and brings back the older agent and has to remind him who he is while saving the world again. What movie is that? Oh, you've you've gone and put me on the spot. You know I'm not going to work here. It's Men in Black Two. It really is Men in Black Two. Yeah, it's the exact plot of Men in Black Two. Even down to the female villain. It's Men in Black 2. It really is. And you know what? Men in Black 2 had better celebrity cameos because I'll tell you something about this. David Beckham no longer has the title of the worst celebrity cameo in any movie in 2017. No, no. That now belongs... And it would have been a surprise had they not put his name on the damn posters. Oh, why did they do... His, so, I'm just going to say, because it, it's Elton John. Elton John, who turns up as Elton John. And the first time you see him, you think, oh, he's Elton John. That's not really as funny as I thought it was going to be. And then he appears again, you think, that's less funny now. And then again, you think, that's that's kind of burned a bit thin now, Elton. And again, like, "Uh, uh, okay. And then again, and then he's looking at camera, and he's referencing, he's breaking the fourth wall, and he's nudge, nudge, wink, winking, and he's flying through the air in slow motion, and you're like, wait what and then he's singing his own songs what is and this goes on and on and on elton john appears in this film about 12 times david beckham appeared once elton john did more damage to celebrity cameos in 2017 than david beckham fact uh pedro pascal is awful in this you know the guy the from uh is it martel from game of thrones the one who had his eyes poked out by the mountain right, right. he's Awful in Spoiler, this. Spoiler, by the way. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> if you've not caught if, you, if you're not that far into Game of Thrones, time has time has vastly outreached you. Um right, he's awful in this. Channing Tatum, as I say, has three scenes, arguably nothing to do. Halle Berry is basically on Catwoman mode. Jeff Bridges plays a character who seemingly exists only in a conference room in a way that reminds you of that holographic doctor from Star Trek who couldn't leave the sick bay. Yeah. Yeah. Um let's see what else. Uh Taron Edgerton, not really got an awful lot to do except whine about his girlfriend uh mark strong is sidelined what uh julianne moore will basically shatter your love of julianne moore and even colin firth is not a good enough actor to actually manage to rise above the awful writing they have used to bring back harry hart and i just want to reiterate that again this is the worst resurrection of a character since agent colson Genuinely, I can I can make excuses for Agent Coulson. I can't this because the entire reason for this film existing is either Matthew Vaughn wanted to prove that he could make a worse sequel than Kick Ass Two, or 
he just really likes Men in Black too, or... Yeah, I've really only got that. Money, money, that's it. The only person enjoying this is Mark Miller's accountant. No, it is bad. Yeah, yeah. It's bad, it's wretched, it is easily one of the worst sequels this year, and this is a year that's seen a fifth Transformers movie. I'll, I'll be really honest, I will sit through Transformers 5 again before I sit through this. This is a film where if you gave me the Blu-ray for Christmas, I'd use it as an ashtray and consider that a more worthwhile function of its existence. It is rubbish. It re- and by the way, if I have to see one more damn film this year that centres around Country Road by John Denver, I'm going to have a stroke. I really am. It's oh, I'm just sa- even Alien Covenant this year with that song. What is it this year with that song? At least it's not the pink song from all the trailers. Well, there is that. But five song, five films this year have centred around Country Road by John Denver, and two the last two in a row have starred Channing Tatum. I was going to complain that you're really kicking off about that song, but I hate the fact that it's two hours and ten minutes. Like, yeah. you, you don't need that ten minutes. I'll be honest, it's about Films it's about be- an hour fifty before they really ramp up the country road. And you know when they do, you're so exhausted by the film that you just never want to hear that song again. About the same level that you never, ever want to see Elton John in any capacity ever again. Go away, Elton. You are done now. With the latest film news and reviews... This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back. So, from there, shall we shall we talk about a documentary about trees? Yeah. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> <laughs> so, to I, A Voice from the Forest, which is the directorial debut, uh, debut, debut, debut of uh, Bruce Parry, who you'll know from documentaries. He, he's always been an on-screen presenter on documentaries oh, before, right. like uh, BBC's Tribes. You ever see that on BBC? Uh, no, right. Basically, this has spun out of tribes, and it's uh, it's his fast about his fascination with uh, how man's relationship with the the world in general, the actual planet, has changed since we stopped being wanderers and started sort of settling settling into fixed locations. All right. So, you know, we used to move from place to place, live off the land. Now we actually settle and we build homes and communities and we don't live off the land as much. And it's about that societal shift and what it means for us as a species. Uh, I tell you what, I'm just going to play a clip. What is our relationship with the natural world? And how has this changed over time? went on a journey to discover what we might have lost and how to find it once again it's i'll be really honest it's about as exciting as it sounds uh, you know it's about an hour and 50 minutes and you kind of think yeah this is i mean my favorite quote for these kind of documentaries it's basically a you know channel 4 dispatches episode yeah. or it's a one hour bbc special i mean this will logically enough wind up on on bbc as, as an actual nature documentary yeah um I, I, I mean, it was gorgeous to look at. The, the photography in it is amazing. Um, some of his interview subjects actually are quite compelling, and he, he raises some interesting points. However, they are very few interesting points amongst many, many points. All oh, right. And I think he really stretches. He stretches his central thesis a little bit too far for comfort, uh, to, to the point that he starts talking about the human brain and the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere. And I'll quote Nigel Andrews when he when we were walking to the BFI after this screening, which was I felt like my left hemisphere had gone to sleep. To be honest, um, yeah, yeah, I'll go with that. Um, 
the other thing is that Bruce Parry himself, not a really engaging narrator, as you might have heard from that little snippet there, not a particularly lively narrator. Like, there's no tone in his voice. It's pretty much a man reading words. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, Attenborough, he ain't, yeah. that way. And uh, Louis Theroux, he certainly can't be. But, uh, I'll be honest, Louis Theroux maps the, the, the evolution of human society. That I'll watch. Yeah. 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 Because I'd just love to imagine him smack-talking the human race. But, uh, yeah. Um, I see. I mean, this will wind up on tally. And to be honest, I, I advise waiting for that more than anything. All right. Certainly do not venture to the cinema for this. No. But is there a news piece we can get through quickly? Yeah, so uh, one of my favourite shows ever. Community. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love Community. Yeah, so Troy good. and Abbott in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. But, um, uh, yeah, Joel McHale's uh, got some... Uh... Ooh, Happy Time Murders. Yeah. He's in Happy Time Murders, because Elizabeth Banks joined it last week. Uh, Do you know about this movie? No. Right, you're going to get excited for this. I'm, I'm already in for the two people that are there, let's be honest. It's going to be this generation's Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Brilliant. Right, so the idea is, it's set in a noir 20s detective-like world in which puppets exist Brilliant. and you know, alongside humans, but they are second-class citizens. Oh, right? There is the cast of a TV show called The Happy Time Hour or something like that, and the, they are made up entirely of puppets, and their cast members are being murdered one by one, and an ex a junkie, an alcoholic junkie ex-cop puppet must team up with his human ex-partner played by melissa mccarthy to investigate this series of murders and this is from this is directed by the son of jim henson just i'm just in yeah so this has actual muppet royalty on it and joel McHale is going to be the fbi agent who's also on the case i know it is good, isn't it? So good. <laughs> Thought you'd like that. Um, so really quickly, I want to talk about On Body and Soul, uh, which is this fascinating uh, sort of art house, uh, art house uh, rom- romantic drama. I would say right. um, it's a very difficult film to describe because it's it's like nothing else. It is set around an abattoir. It's set around sort of a, a slaughterhouse, as it were, right. and it's about. Um, this uh, about a man and a woman who work in the slaughterhouse who begin a relationship based on begin a sort of a, a would be a gestating a love between them based on a shared dream that they have they discover that they're having the same exact dreams with the same exact images and they they come together as they try to restage and and re uh, sort of uh, re witness as it were the actual dreams that they've had really odd kind of concept for me. I don't know how this has come about, but uh, I met the director very briefly on Monday night. All right. She was at the BFI, and uh, I, I got to say hello to her very briefly, but she was on stage with, uh, with the good doctor. Uh, and, uh, and, yeah, really interesting, really interesting talk. Um, I say really gorgeous film, like stunning, because obviously there's a lot of it in the slaughterhouse, but there's a lot of dreamlike imagery in there, and the way to go is very snowy, to go very crisp, to go very, very much into the detail and the frame, and it's it's something to really behold. The performances are very interesting, um, they kind of sell the otherworldly concept behind it. Um, it's won, oh, I could won the Golden Boar, I think. Golden Bear, Golden Boar. Uh, won the Golden Bear Award. And, uh, yeah, I can see why. Because it has got that very, this would own a festival sort of appeal to it. But it's one of those that actually has enough compelling insight. To, if I'm going to make a complaint about it, to be honest, it's about 20 minutes too long. Because it clocks in five minutes short, two hours. I think it, maybe 20 minutes too long. 
Right, for the, for its concept, that's a bit too much. 25 minutes too long. 25 minutes, then. 90 minutes or 90 minutes would have done. With, the, with this kind of surrealist concept and the very stark manner in which it is played and executed, I would say that 90 would have been a very tidy run. I would, I would I think would have served better there. But for what it is as it exists now... It's very interesting, and it's it's really not like any other film. It's very much its own thing. Mm-hmm. So I would I would I would you know I'd say it's worth a watch, but don't use this as the date night movie. Okay, really don't. Um, I mean, in the meanwhile, we're going to do film of the week. So uh, I'm going to give in between film of the week. Oh. that's getting film of the week. I want to watch in between again. I really enjoyed it. Uh, infinitely more than Kingsman. Yeah, I've got to take my dad to see that. Oh I'm... mate, I'm sorry. I like your dad as well. Yeah, can I try too. and talk him out of it? Uh, it won't work. I'll, I'll, I'll text him. All right, cool. I'll text him. <laughs> uh, so next week, some more uh, interesting stuff to see. We've got uh, Brimstone, which has been kicking around a while. All right, that's stars uh, Guy Pearce and Kit Harrington, and it's a western. So, yeah. Yeah, that works. So Jon Snow and Aldrich Killian in a western. That works, that works. Jon Snow and the Mandarin, sorry, we'll say, because it's been long, been long enough. It's not a spoiler anymore. All right. Yeah. Okay, we've got Daphne, a uh, foreign language film. I don't know an awful lot about that one. We've got Goodbye Christopher Robin next week. So... Yeah, it's the movie where uh, Pooh goes feral and he bites Christopher Robin and gives him rabies, <laughs> and then the parents have to have to put them both down. That's what it is. Christopher uh, Robin's parents, have to, yeah, uh, yeah. That's why it's called Goodbye Christopher. No, I'm kidding. I really <laughs> wish it was. Think about how no. great that would have been. <laughs> that's a savage movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, this is uh, the story of A. A. Milne and how he came up with uh, Winnie the Pooh. Oh, that's how cool. he came back from war and wanted to be a writer and he created Winnie the Pooh and based Christopher Robin on his own son. Huh. And uh, that's the story, evidently. Uh, we've got Killing Ground, which looks like a really great sort of slot, schlocky, kind of slashed-up horror movie. Okay. Which is about, like, murders whilst people are camping. Oh, wow. So, Killing Ground. <laughs> camping Ground, yeah, Killing Ground. That's great. So the poster is a dead body being dragged away from a tent. Okay. Uh, we've got Pecking Order, which is a comedy about chickens. Uh, no, I'm out. So, not just a clever title. We've got Zoology, which I've seen. And it's about a woman who grows a tail. And yeah, it, okay. it's it's a it's a Russian dramedy about a woman who grows a tail. That, okay, that, that's a thing that happened. And uh, Reese Witherspoon's doing a rom com again. Home again is here next oh, week. Yeah. You can't. You probably see the bus yeah, uh, bus adverts. Side of the bus. Yeah, because it's it's Reese Witherspoon sat on red. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's really it. <laughs> it's just Reese Witherspoon sat on some red on the side of a red bus. Yeah, <laughs> wearing red. <laughs> Because, yeah, lots of red there. Almost like they're trying to sell it as a love story. So don't forget, competitions on the uh, on-screen website. We've got Firefly uh, Blu-ray box sets, the 15th anniversary giveaway. My Life as a Courgette on Blu-ray and uh, and T-shirts. And we've also got Trust Me, the Jodie Whittaker BBC miniseries, which I'm told is very good and worth seeing. So they're all on the website. Um, So we've got all those other films and more to come next week off-screen. In the meanwhile, this has been a Candy Store production for on-screen. I've been Van Collar. I've been John Coulson. And we'll be back. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Offscreen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Okay, Podcast extras. So, fun to be had. What should we do? Should we do some news? Let's do a bit of news. Okay, what you got? Anything you want to talk about? This is some royalty that's come back. Oh, oh, Miss Hamilton. Yeah. So, yeah, Linda Hamilton is apparently returning to the Terminator universe. 
This is going to be 26 years after the last time she was seen in the Terminator universe. Bear in mind, this is a woman who so venomously did not want to come back for Terminator 3 that they just killed the character off entirely, off screen. They just they literally just had a die between movies. Was that a podcast plug? That was a podcast plug. <laughs> Off screen. Right. Trademark. <laughs> um, yeah, but she, she really didn't want to be back. Because, I mean, the other thing was, I think it was because James Cameron wasn't back for the third one that she didn't want to do it. Arnold Schwarzenegger didn't want to do it either, but uh, apparently Cameron talked him into it. What, while he wasn't doing yeah. it? Yeah. Like, James, yeah. James Cameron reportedly <laughs> talked Schwarzenegger into doing it. totally do it. Are you doing it? No, but you should. <laughs> yeah, I think that's how it went. But also, it does. It, you know, it kind of hurt matters. That I think Schwarzenegger got one of the biggest paydays of his entire career for that movie. All oh, right, right, you right, watch, right. You watch Terminator 3 back now, and you find that amazing to, to think about. But, uh, yeah, she's going to return because James Cameron gets the rights to Terminator back at the end of this year. Okay. Is it this year or end of this year or next year? But he gets the rights to the franchise back, and he's already decided that he's going to produce a new trilogy of Terminator movies, which the first of which is going to be directed by Tim Miller, who did Deadpool. Yeah. Right. And this is going to have Cameron directly involved for the first time since Terminator 2. So, yeah, he seems to think, oh, yes, we're going to do something wonderful with it. Um, he's assembled a writer's room. Oh. Right? Yeah. And because, obviously, James Cameron has learnt nothing about how the modern film... Because, let's be honest... James Cameron has been out of the game, more or less, for, you know, seven years now. Since Terminator Well, no, in fact, James Cameron's been out of the game, really, for 20 years. I mean, after, after Titanic in 97, he went away for, what, 13 years to work on Avatar? I mean, it took 13 years before we got Avatar. Yeah. 12, 12 13 years. Let's say 13. Right. And he's not done a film since. So other than a couple of 3D reissues of existing films and plotting for Avatar sequels. I was going to say, he's working on all 27 yeah. Avatars. So I think we can safely say that James Cameron might well and truly be out of the loop when it comes to what the modern film industry is. Yeah. So he's not learned any of the lessons. Case in point here is he's assembled a writer's room, right, yeah. to map out ideas for a sequel. Who's one of the people in, these writer, in this writer's room? David Goyer. The man behind, man behind Batman, Superman, and Man of Steel, literally wrote Man of Steel, and this is someone that he thinks will invigorate new life into the uh, the Terminator universe. Okay, so Terminator is going to be dark and in the rain. Yep, because that's just what it needs. God, but yeah, that's the, why. Just, just why? <laughs> why? I mean, actually, Calvin pointed out a brilliant irony here. He, t- he actually pointed out when he heard this news. And he actually, put, I think he put it on our Facebook, the po- Facebook post of this article. Okay, he actually put on there. It's ironic to him that the Terminator franchise at this point has actually become like the Terminator itself. It's this unstoppable machine that's going to keep coming back. It can't be stopped. It won't end. It's just going to keep coming. And that's true. That's what the Terminator franchise now is. It's like a Terminator. Someone holding a DVD. Have you seen this film? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I need your clothes, your boots, your franchise rights. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay, I've got to talk about this this one. Um, So, right. Do you like anthology movies? Do you have any anthology movie favourites at all? Um... Not, okay. Not at all. A lot of people have, for instance, the Twilight Zone movie 
which is quite a memorable one. Oh, right. Which uh, the most famous thing about the Twilight Zone movie, I think, to me, is the uh, the John Lithgow remake of the William Shatner Twilight Zone classic. There's something on the wing. Um, you know that one? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, is that Terror at Ten Thousand Feet? Or something I don't know. That? Twilight Zone's a ride at Disney oh, for me. I love the Twilight. The eighties remake of the Twilight Zone, I think, is amazing. Oh, okay. Twilight Zone's a classic and everything from the sixties. The eighties one, though, I grew up on that. That was what I loved. Do you know what actually the Twilight Zone is to me? Hmm? It's um, on the a scary sun- door from Futurama. <laughs> no, on a Sunday, I'd get back from Sunday league football when I was younger, yeah. and then like get showered in that, and then you'd see the end of the Twilight Zone just before Planet of the Apes had come on. And then just before Doctor Who had come on, and me and my dad had sit and watch like Doctor Who. Wow, your dad really has always been the same, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's not changed. Yeah, all. guy's a ledge. Oh, <laughs> this is a guy who keeps trying to get me to watch Midnight Texas. Yeah, oh, he's obsessed. He's obsessed with Midnight Texas at the minute. But uh, oh, and Supernatural. I think he was really into Supernatural for for a little bit there. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So anyway, anthology movies, right? I, I I'm a fan of the format, which is you know you find a basic framework to yeah. allow you know short films, and it all totes up to one big narrative, right? Twilight Zone movie is, is a bit of a classic, I suppose. There's Trick or Treat, which I quite liked. Uh, 2008, that was really good. And that was tied to J.J. Abrams. I had a lot of J.J. Abrams filmmakers okay. working on it. And uh, there was one a couple of years ago, like Halloween Tales or something like that. Didn't quite work out, that one. Right. But uh, we're getting a new one. Okay. Right. It's called Nightmare Cinema. And it centres around, like, a derelict movie theatre called the Rialto. And it's going to be run by, like, a creepy, mysterious projectionist, played by Mickey Rook. And five different people in five different stories will come into this cinema, and their worst fears will unfold before them on the big screen. All right. Right, it's a good enough idea. Yeah, yeah. It's when you get to the filmmakers involved. Okay. Right? Two of well, I mean, there's a couple there that I don't know, but the two that really stand out to me: Joe Dante is one of them, okay, and David Slade. So David Slade, Thirty Days of Night, David Slade, right? Okay, this could be quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm on board with that. That's that's got some potential. But uh, mm. um, director, you will actually know Taika Waititi. You you say that like I know names. Oh, sorry. To- if I show you his picture, Will that ring a bell. Yeah, there we go. Oh, okay, there you go. Okay, all right. So, so what we do in the shadows? Yeah, right. Okay, what we do in the shadows? And uh, he also directed uh, the follow Hunt for the Wilder People. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, Man the Bush, Bushman. Yeah. <laughs> right. He is uh, currently directing Thor Ragnarok. Okay. Right. He has written and directed Thor Ragnarok. Uh, this is his big moment in the sun. This is his mainstream moment. Now, of course, as Jordan Peele was forced to answer the question earlier this year, what do you do once you've had your big Hollywood mainstream moment? What's the next thing you do? In Jordan Peele's case, the answer is... I'm just going to do my own thing again. I yeah. don't care about the mainstream thing. It was an entirely accidental thing that I had a mainstream thing. So you know what? I'm just going to do that again. Yeah, it works. Taika Waititi has entered negotiations to become the latest director attached to the live-action adaptation of Akira. Is that the... The, the anime. Yeah, the yeah basically anime. remembered by, you know, the dude on the red motorcycle. Yep, there we go. Y- yeah. yeah. Now, th- this film has been in development for so long now that most people who remember Akira have died of old age. Yeah. 
And I mean, it's the n- the number of names that have gone through this. <laughs> I mean, John Peel, funnily enough, was named a director at one point. Oh, really? <laughs> it just didn't happen. Um, uh, Juan Cole Serra, who did like nonstop and and basically every Liam Neeson action movie the last five years, he's not doing them anymore. Anyway, he's not doing them anymore now because you know he's like eighty now, so yeah. it's just getting silly. He's gonna go back to me. Gonna now. go back and in, in, enjoy his uh, enjoy his uh, his just trick cereal. That's what it is. Silly rabbit tricks of the kids. Anyway, so this is the number of names have gone through directors, not just directors, but cast members. At one point, Leonardo DiCaprio was going to star in it. Then Garrett Hedlund was going to star in it. And Keanu Reeves was going to star in it. And Gary Oldman was going to star in it. And, and uh, uh, Kristen Stewart was going to star in it. And right, here's the funny thing: so many cast members have gone through this. No one's noticed that Leonardo DiCaprio is still down to produce this. As he noticed. I presume he has, because Leonardo DiCaprio produces about, you know, 100 films a year now. Okay. But uh, he's the only guy who produces more films than Brett Ratner, from what I can work out. <laughs> but yeah, Taika Waititi is, go- is in negotiations to direct Akira. Why? I don't know. Can't explain. It's gone on too long now. It just doesn't matter. Yeah, it's, there's no relevance anymore. I mean, even the, the, the anime was so long ago that... Yeah, I know what you mean. Well, that's the thing. It has other. Uh, it, it was a, it was a book, series of books originally, like a series of manga books originally, I think. And yeah, but oh, we have a new girl with a dragon tattoo. All right. Yeah, I don't mean just like you know different versions. We have actually have a new actress playing that character in the English language reboot of the series. Have right. we already had an English language? No, no, no. We had an English language adaptation of the series. Oh, so we had. An English language version of the girl with the dragon tattoo, yeah, which was still set weirdly in the same country. So why it needed to be English language, I don't know. But okay, fair enough. It just all spoke English. just just cause, yeah. <laughs> just that was what it was. Everyone just spoke English for no reason. A few people had an accent, yeah. <laughs> couple of people yeah but right so you have the millennium trilogy which is the original uh the original language version you have the uh english language version which is the daniel craig uh rooney mara one directed by david fincher yeah that didn't quite make as much money as they thought it was going to yeah it was it was meant to like take over and oh yeah do you remember they made they made out with the marketing this is gonna be the biggest thing ever yeah it really wasn't it was really slow it really was yeah yeah we're still a skateboarding that uh, I, I assume he was. <laughs> I don't know. I just enjoy like hearing it. Still escape. Yeah, but uh, no, it just didn't take off. So for years they've talked about whether or not they're going to do the the rest of the trilogy. Now they come up with a compromise. They're just going to do a reboot, right? Using right because there's Millennium Children that were written by Steve Larson. Yeah, and then there's two books afterwards. Right, that continue the story, but because Steve Larson died after writing the trilogy, someone else has just written them. Oh, yeah. So basically, it's fanfic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. basically fanfic. We are now in the business of theatrical adaptations of fanfic. Although you can argue that we have movies of Fifty Shades of Grey, so we kind of crossed that bridge already. Yeah. So this is going to be. I can't even remember the name anymore. <laughs> I really can't. The the girl who oh man, I gotta look this up. Yeah. Right. It's Claire Foy. Claire Foy is going to be Lisbeth Salander now. Yeah. Claire Foy is from The Crown on Netflix. Oh, you no, know, right. that's a that's a big deal apparently. Yeah. Right. The girl in the spider's web. That's the name of the uh, of the, the new one. Okay. So, but it's going to start Claire Foy, and actually, here's where it gets interesting. It's going to be directed by Fede Alvarez. Right? It's written and directed by Fede Alvarez, who made Don't Breathe. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you see that one? Then? I didn't. It's one of them that it's like I wanted to see, mm. 
but then it's me, so I just didn't. I would have thought you'd be in love with that. Yeah. It's got my boy in it, man. My boy. It's got my boy, Dylan Manette. He's my boy, dog. <laughs> so Dylan Manette and Jane Levy, um, I'm, I'm a big fan of them both. Why is he your boy? He's my boy. <laughs> All right, he doesn't know it, but we're boys. Oh. All right? <laughs> you don't know it yet, but we boys. <laughs> okay, okay. That's just how this works. All right, I'm out of the <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so Claire Foy's going to start. Fred Alvarez, who did uh, Don't Breathe, he also did the remake of Evil Dead. You know, the one that was actually way better than it had any business being. Was that the Suburgatory Girl one? Yes. All right. That's yeah. Jane Levy. Yeah, 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 don't breathe. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. I just, yeah, just call suburgatory girl. Yeah, yeah. Although you can argue like there's, there's a lot of suburgatory girls. Alicia Silverstone is a suburgatory girl. So yeah, but she's not the suburgatory girl. No, 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 no. I think we all know that. Oh, what was the girl's name? The, the, the dark haired, the blonde daughter. I don't know. She's the suburgatory girl to me. Anyway, um, oh, what's she called? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I can't work it out either. Blank expression girl. Like expression. By the way, did you see the, I think I sent it you, the trailer for Super Troopers 2? Um, yeah, I did. Yeah? Yeah. You excited, Mia? Oh, like, Super Troopers 1 is so good. <laughs> it really is. It really is. And I, I just, just can't wait. Yeah. Those, um, oh, what are they called? Uh, Go on. The group. The group? Oh, Broken Lizard. Yes. Yeah, yeah, Broken Lizard. You just trust that they're going to do a good job. Okay. Now, I admit, I've I've watched a few of the Broken Lizard movies with you. Yeah. And I remember, weirdly, we watched uh, The Slam in Salmon the day before <laughs> Michael Clark Duncan died. Right, I've got a thing about that. I listened to Robert Palmer the day he, before he died. Like, so That's I, just weird. Yeah. I, yeah don't, I think you're a curse. I don't listen to bands that I'm going to see live just because of that. Oh, okay. Can we listen to One Direction after this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't they all... Not, I've not died, but I'm the like stop. I think they split now, aren't yeah. they? One direction. Yeah. Oh, okay. You, you can only make so much money. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> there's only so many women in the world. Ah, <laughs> uh, but uh, okay. Let's see what else is in the news. Actually, should we talk really quickly about uh, in the last days of the city? Yeah. Uh, which is final review we've got to do this week. So this is uh, this is staged to look like a documentary but it's actually a narrative film so it's about uh, it's set in cairo in in december of 2009 right so it's just before everything kicks off okay right uh but the feeling is in the air the, the protests have begun right the uprising has, has started to set in and it, there is this prevalent feeling amongst everyone there that a big change is going to come very shortly. Okay. And in the centre of this, you have Khalid, who's a mid-30s filmmaker, who's trying to make a documentary that captures how he feels about the city. And he's finding that he can't quite find a way into this story, can't quite find a way to do it. And in order to help him along, his friends basically arrange for him to be, uh, to be sent footage of other people in different cities, in their native cities, doing the same thing. And the idea is that he learns that certain truth is universal, that certain feelings are just a thing, and it helps him come to terms with how he feels at that moment. All right. Um, yeah. And then in the middle of all this as well, he's made to face a certain level of mortality through his mother being ill. Uh, he has to look for an apartment of his own to live out on his own for the first time. And, yeah, it's... It's a distinctive looking film. It has a very a certain visual aesthetic. It leans towards a sort of deserty kind of like a very orange, a burnt orange yet desert based kind of look, despite being in a very urban 
you know, cityscape. And, and to be fair, they have really captured the look of Cairo. Oh, yes. <laughs> but uh, the thing with it, I would argue, is it's a little too meandering for its own good. It's very introspective. All right. And the problem is doing something that introspective and then constantly referencing the fact that there is something so much more exciting going on outside the window becomes quite problematic because, you know, something more interesting is going on outside the yeah. window. Although, second movie this year to be set during this point in Egyptian politics. Okay. Because we had, uh, oh, what was it? Earlier, beginning of the summer, when they were in a police van. Oh, I didn't mind it, actually. What was it? Yeah, it'll come to me. I didn't mind it. <laughs> I didn't mind it. I quite liked it. Uh, Khalid Abdallah plays, imaginatively enough, Khalid. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, his performance is very good. For, for what he's for what he's got to work with, his performance is, is more than up to the task. He delivers quite a good turn. The problem is, the film really doesn't do much with that. You have got a guy that is emoting exceptionally well and really delving into the, you know, the psychological and emotional aspects of his character. Yeah. Yet, there really isn't the story there to do much with that. And it does kind of feel like a bit of a misfire, to be honest. Yeah, swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. But, uh, hey, next time, do the riots and the protests. Yeah. There's, there's some interesting stuff there. It's a big story, though. There is a, turns out, massive globally defining story right outside the window. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, who'd have thunk that one? So let's have a look here. Oh, uh, John Wick 3. Did we? No, we didn't have this one. John Wick 3's got a release date. Why? Why? Because yeah. there just needs to be one if the film's got to come out. But it's going to come out, funnily enough, after Avengers 4, the week after Avengers 4, and the week before Aladdin. So, yeah, they're putting that up against some big stuff. Yeah. I take it you're not excited about a John Wick 3? No. No? No. No, why? You like John Wick 1? Yeah. Okay. Did you not like John Wick 2? I, not nowhere near as much. No, no, I'll go with that. It's nowhere near as good as... Yeah, but it's not Kingsman 2. I know, but it's like it's just that conversation, isn't it? Do, do you need to have yeah. sequels for everything? Well, yes. In the case of John Wick, I would absolutely I would absolutely agree with that, John. There never needed to be a John Wick 2, although I would argue they did a pretty good job with what they had to work with. Yeah, but yeah. like just because they did a good job, well, a pretty good job, they shouldn't have done it. You were so busy thinking about whether or not you could, you didn't stop to think about whether or not you should. Yeah. <laughs> Like Jeff said. Like Jeff said. Uh, the Lego Movie sequel is all about gender. Really. So, get this. Right, you remember the end of the first movie? I can't watch it. It makes me feel sick. Like, I've tried, like, three times. Really? Yeah. Have you seen the ending? No, I've, I've seen, like, the first 15 minutes. They'd be like, nah, I'm out. I can't. Okay, can I just tell you the ending? Uh, yeah, I mean, should we do the whole spoilers thing? Skip 15 seconds? N- no. I'm just like... It's been three years. It doesn't matter. I like saying spoiler. Okay, there you go. Spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, okay. So at the end of the Lego movie, of course, all the, the Lego movies taking place on a table in a basement. Right. Ah. The whole thing is a kid playing with Lego in the basement. Yeah, I, I did right. know that. The evil president business is actually Will Ferrell. So Will Ferrell's voice, he's actually the dad of the family. And the whole thing is that he is super gluing the Lego sets to make everything perfectly built forever. Ah. And the kid wants to be destructive and use his imagination. Right, hence the very clever metaphor that runs through the middle of... Never mind. I didn't get to the middle. I got like... Okay. Right, okay, anyway, the whole thing is, at the very end of the movie, the kid is told, okay, you're going to need to start to play with your sister as well. But the sister is so much younger that she plays with Duplo. 
Oh, right. Of course. And then you go back into the Lego world, and the Lego characters have to deal with the arrival of what they deem to be aliens, which are, in fact, Duplo. Okay. Right. Apparently, the difference between how boys play with Lego and how girls play with Lego is going to set up a gender discussion that is going to be the subtext running through the centre of the Lego movie sequel. Oh, my God, I can't wait. Let's, let's also use that to address certain issues with the Wildstyle character. Because there are discussions to be had. Yeah. But, uh, although I want to point out that one of the central characters in the Lego movie is a damn monarch. And this never comes up. Unikitty. Unikitty is the actual ruler of a kingdom. This never seems to come up. But, I really yeah. feel like I should try a bit harder and watch the... I, I really would. Yeah. Right, here's one you might like. Oh. Right, John DeLorean. Okay. Okay. Man, man who cleverly enough made the DeLorean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, they're making a documentary about John DeLorean. But they're going to, uh, what they're going to do is they're, they're going to actually stage certain scenes from, from his life. And, you know, they're going to have like reenactments. Okay. Right. They've cast John DeLorean. And it might be just my favourite casting of this week. It is Sir Alec Baldwin. Really? Yes. Alec Baldwin is John DeLorean. I mean, for a man who coined the phrase Reaganing, <laughs> this is kind of taking the Michael, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. Do you know what would be really good? Like, random bit of weird knowledge is that um, DeLoreans have got such an underground sort of culture and scene still that they all, do. all the parts are still like really easy to get hold of. Are they? Yeah, in America, there's just warehouses full of it. Like, oh. I think it's like two dudes that just own it all. There's literally an American Dad episode that centers around getting the parts for a missing part for a DeLorean. Well, that should be that's a really crap episode because like you just email one of these. No, they, they go on a road trip. All oh, right, yeah. cool, cool. It, it's clever enough. The title is DeLorean Storian. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I like that. But uh, yeah, so like getting the parts and everything, that would be quite easy for this I mean writing any sort of crashes into it is a big no-no but <laughs> uh, shall I tell you about a movie that you're going to be dying to see yes right okay what would you get if you combined Life of Pi with Snakes on a Plane with The Grey think, think about that combine those three movies in your head right, so we're punching wolves we're sick of these mother effing snakes yep we're on a boat with a tiger Okay, right. Okay. Now I'm going to introduce you to Primal. Okay. Right. <laughs> Wait for it, because this is a doozy. Right. Primal. <laughs> oh, my God, it's just silly to say out loud. Primal is about a big game hunter who is uh, on board uh, a, 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 you know, a, a boat, a, a ship that is transporting animals across the ocean. Um, and unbeknownst to him, the federal government is transporting a dangerous terrorist secretly on the same boat. The terrorist then escapes and sets all the animals loose on the boat, and the big game hunter has to face off against a jaguar <laughs> on this boat. Now... Who do you get to play the big game hunter? Um, I don't know. Anyone I could guess is not going to be as good just from the look on your face. As no. a... Okay, I'm going to save it. I'm going to save it. Okay. Because it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> it is the best. I Like, whoever came up with this idea for me, you're like, oh, my God. Just This is the legend amongst casting agents for this one. But, yeah, the movie's called Primal. It's going to be a man versus a jaguar. On a boat. Okay. Right. <laughs> no idea how this is going to turn out, but I hope it's as awesome as it sounds. 
Uh, did we talk about Mike Myers in, in the Queen movie? Um, yeah, yeah, I, we did. Yeah, yeah, because I want him to oh. be a lover. Yes. Yeah. Well, I don't. I honestly don't know. Um, right. One of the writers of Wonder Woman is going to be writing the feature film adaptation of Robotech. Well, the, yeah. do you remember that one? Remember Robotech? No, but they did quite well with Wonder Woman. So, well, yeah, you can argue that. I mean, the deal that she's got to do the sequel is insane. She's like the highest paid like director. Oh God, yeah, like ever. Yeah, I think she's safe. To be honest, uh, let's see what else. Oh, um, it. It is obviously going to come to uh, to Blu-ray and DVD towards the end of the year. Yeah. Right? I mean, I'd imagine, given when it came out, it would probably be out pretty much smack bang for Christmas. Don't you think they should sort of put it on TV? Well, I keep thinking that when they eventually make part two, they should actually wait about three months afterwards and then issue a massive four-hour-long version that's been re-edited back into the order of both the Stephen King book and the 1990 miniseries, where it cuts between them as adults and children. All right. I would watch the hell out of that. Yeah. Like that would be good, wouldn't it? That sounds like a. Also, great idea. if it were a limited thing, like they only they're only going to do it for one week. Yeah. Think about that. Everyone would go and see it. Like, for one week only, see it in full, you know. It's like when you found that Easter egg on, um... Memento? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I find it hilarious that I couldn't remember the name. <laughs> Actually, you know the, the weird... Yeah, that's kind of... It's weirdly fitting, isn't it? I should get tattooed on my yeah, arm. Yeah, I was going to say, I should look to my arm. <laughs> The weird thing is, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. If oh no, actually, Honest Trailers said it when they did an Honest Trailer for Memento. If you actually do put it in the right order, it's kind of a lame story. <laughs> <laughs> like, half the fun of the story is the way it's structured. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like I watched when I watched Doctor Strange. And yeah. I, I think when I said it in the review, when I watched Doctor Strange, my whole thing was. I feel like, given the time-bendy nature of it, it kind of would have been more fun if this had been in a non-linear order. Then realise that, given the plot and the general setup of Doctor Strange, if you actually did that, what you'd wind up with is effectively Batman Begins. Ah, oh, right. Yeah, because, you know, go to Tibet and yeah, yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah it kind of would have just been Batman Begins. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, so, I think that I'm out of news, to be honest. Um, I'm all I'm out. All there's one more that I read. Uh, Jessica Chastain. Oh, Painkiller Jane. There you go. So, Jessie Chastain is Painkiller Jane. Jessie. <laughs> I'm just going with that. Is she your girl? <laughs> my girl, dog. <laughs> no, if there's an actress I want to call my girl right now, it's Alicia Vikander in the Tomb Raider trailer. All right, fair one. But uh, I, I, I love the look of that trailer. I think it looks great. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, Alicia Vikander looks great in it, too. I don't watch trailers a lot, but, you know, we recently watched that one. It does look good. It does look good. And it's got Walt Goggins in it. Oh, what a guy. What, I know, what a dude, man. But, oh, man, I hope he says something vaguely racist. <laughs> what, what is it about Walter Goggins? It's like, you just know he will. So. It's like, I feel like directors just sit around and say, uh, so we've got this character who's uh, it's not a nice guy. He's a little slimy. I want to go with kind of a hick, kind of a southern hick vibe. And I feel like he's a little bit racist. Let's just drop an N-bomb. Yeah, and uh, so what's Walton Gawkins doing? I feel like that's how they do it. <laughs> and I feel like Tarantino just kind of like, I've got a movie with a character. <laughs> Walton Goggins is perfect. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so uh, that does that. No, Jessica Chastain's doing uh, Painkiller Jane at the moment. Okay. Which, do you remember Painkiller Jane? No. But here's the weird thing. Painkiller Jane's never really gone away. All right. It, I think it's a creation of the early 90s in comic book form. 
Okay. And then late 90s, millennium kind of time, it wound up. They did, I think, two TV movies for it. Right. Then did, like, a sci-fi channel TV series based on it. And it does have a cult following. Because it's got its cult following, it's always carried on. It's never really gone away. All oh, right, right. There's yeah. even a comic book miniseries crossover event, Punisher and Painkiller Jane. Because they're basically the same character. Okay. Only one's a woman. Right, so the idea is uh, she's a low-level uh, cop. Uh, I think her name is Jane Vasco, I think her name is. Okay. Uh, she's a you know, low-level sort of beat cop. She gets tasked by the FBI to aid in an undercover investigation, catch some, some uh, mobsters or human traffickers or whatever. Okay. Um, she gets found out, savagely kind of killed. Uh, her life is burnt to the ground. And um, in the aftermath, she, she's basically given regenerative superpowers. Okay. And she then decides to basically become the Punisher, as one does. You know, because naturally, that's the first thing you would think of you had regenerative powers. I now want to kill a lot of people. Yeah, well... But, uh... You'd give it a bit of a whirl, wouldn't you? Well, I mean, I'd, if I had regenerative powers, I'd mostly use it to not have to wait around walking up and down stairs. I would just hop over the railing and land on the ground. But... <laughs> I've never understood why Wolverine uses staircases. Like, if you're Wolverine, right, you're Wolverine, and you're on the 40th floor of a building, do you wait for the lift, go down to reception, and then exit the building? Do you just open the window and throw yourself out, knowing full well that you'll just get, get, be able to walk, get up and walk away without a scratch? You would totally do that. No, you would. I mean, you'd be. F- <laughs> it's never dealt with, actually, why none of these regenerative characters aren't fearless, because you would be. Well, no, that's a fair point, yeah. Yeah. What, what have you got to be scared of? Yeah. I mean, you know, fear itself. Yeah. <laughs> or in my case, cows. Or staircases. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that is a really awful and old Dennis Leary joke. Uh, is it FDR? The president in a wheelchair said, we have nothing to fear but fear itself, plus staircases. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of weirdly tied back into that. But, uh, yeah, so Painkiller Jay is going to be uh, written by uh, the co- writer, co- one of the co-writers on Once Upon a Time on TV. Oh, the... Um, the, the fairy tale fairy revision tale, series. yeah. And Constantine. Yes. You know, the yeah. series that was so good they cancelled it and decided to never do anything with it again. Yeah, that one. All right, cool. So, we've got that to look forward to. There's no director on it yet, though. But, hey, Jessica Chastain... It's going to be uh, Pink of the Jane. Yes. And the fact that that rhymes just makes it awesome. Yeah. Must be true. It rhymes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. That's a fact. Yeah, if it rhymes, it's true. Uh, right, so, before we end, uh, I'm going to tell you <laughs> who the star of Primal is. The actor on a boat who will fight a jaguar is Nicolas Cage. Oh, yes! <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, I hope he's wearing safari gear. <laughs> Just please let me wearing like I just want him like a hunter's waistcoat. Yeah, you know, with like a little shotgun belt. I, re- I want him oh. to have you know the ridiculous like shotgun with the flute end. Oh, like a blunderbuster. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's gonna be so good. I just, do you know what? I never genuinely look forward to a Nicholas Cage in his case that that's just gonna be so bad. It's good, yeah. but you never really get excited about them. I think I did get a bit excited about Army of One, to be honest, and that had its moments, to be fair. But uh, I am excited about this one. Nicolas Cage is going to fight a Jaguar in Primal. That is so good. I know. So the question actually goes, what do you get if you cross Life of Pi with Snakes and a Plane (laughs) and the Grey 
and then cast Nicolas Cage? <laughs> <laughs> the answer is Primal. Yeah. Right. So, before we cut, I'm just going to say before we play this, we have specifically picked this week's MOC, as it were. Okay. Uh, and we have picked this for a multitude of reasons because it's weirdly relevant. All right. Because. Its central punchline has been referenced by Donald Trump this week at, oh. the, at the United Nations. Elton John is appearing in, in Kingsman, the Golden Shower, as it should be called. <laughs> wow. And on that note, here it is, your moment of cage. Listen, I think we got started off on the wrong foot. Stan Goodspeed, FBI. Uh, let's talk music. Do you like the Elton John song, Rocket Man? I don't like soft ass. Oh, you don't. Well, I only bring it up because uh, it's you. You're the rocket man. 